The New Testament reading for this morning comes from the book of Acts, beginning in the 11th chapter at the first verse. And Luke wrote these things. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. And looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. And this happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. And these six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? O God of justice and peace, Grant us the grace to see below the surface of our lives so that we may be cleansed of our prejudice and then empower us to be a reconciled and reconciling people. Open our ears, our hearts, and our minds to your word for us this day. Amen. Middle-aged woman had a heart attack and was taken to the hospital. And while on the operating table, she had a near-death experience. So seeing God, she asked, is my time up? Well, God said, no. You have another 43 years, two months, and eight days to live. So upon recovery, the woman decided to stay in the hospital and have a facelift, a liposuction, and a tummy tuck. She even had someone come in and change her hair color. Since she had so much more time to live, she figured she might as well make the most of it. But after her last operation, she was released from the hospital, and while crossing the street on her way home, she was hit by an ambulance and killed. And arriving in front of God, she demanded, I thought you said I had another 40-plus years to live. And God replied, well, I'm sorry, I didn't recognize you. 
You know, up to this point in the story of Acts, the story of Cornelius, the spread of the gospel has been pretty much limited to Jewish people. And here in chapter 11 of the book of Acts, the gospel leaps over the biggest border in Jewish life, which is perhaps why the Jewish leaders back in Jerusalem jumped down Peter's throat. You see, his border crossing, if you will, to the Gentiles was seen as a violation of borders that God had pretty much established for God's people. I think this story is incredibly important for us in a number of ways. First, how does the church grow in basically a non-Christian environment? And then, how should the church handle the acceptance of people from outside of our own experience? There's always been tension in the church, really, between us and them. It's one of the questions I hope someday to ask before the throne. Because, you know, I have never understood what it is about our human makeup that is gratified by knowing that I am in on something that you are not. Therefore, somehow I am better, more privileged, set apart in some way. Why do we do this? What is it that we feel we need to guard or not share? Well, when we read the book of Acts, we might jump to the conclusion that the early church spread and grew because of bold and uncompromising preaching, or maybe because of the miracles that were performed by the disciples of Jesus, or because of the witness of Christians that were scattered by persecutions, or because of authentic and joyful worship, and all of those things happened and are true, and they are some of the ways that the early church grew. But what really made the church grow was God using those means. We can work hard at all of those things even today, but our church won't grow unless God is at work through all of them. None of these things will work unless the Holy Spirit shows up, unless God moves. That part of the story, I think, grabs our attention here, but we also know it from earlier stories in Acts. The giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, 3,000 converted, hearing the gospel in their own language, the conversion of Saul, and so much, much more. But without the Holy Spirit and the mighty works of God, the gospel would have gone nowhere. Here we read about dreams and visions, about angels and human messengers, about the Holy Spirit falling on Cornelius and his family, about God granting, even to the Gentiles, repentance that leads to life. It was God who changed Peter's mind. It was God who moved Cornelius to invite Peter to preach. It was God who sent the Holy Spirit. It was God who converted this Gentile and his whole household. God's fingerprints are all over this story and the rest of the book of Acts. That is how churches grow. Whatever role it is that we play in things, it is God that gives growth. So we need to look at the next question. What does the church do when God brings to our church folks who do not look like us, folks who are not like us? How do we welcome them into the body of Christ? What kinds of demands should we make on these new Christians? What kind of demands does God put on us when we find folks 
in our church that aren't like us. Because in essence, that's also what this story is about. The conversion of Peter or of Cornelius and how Peter dealt with it raises a huge question that troubled the early church and indeed, I think, continues to trouble the church today. We hear it in the challenges of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem when they met Peter. You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. It wasn't that Peter was involved with Cornelius' conversion or that he baptized him. Jesus told the disciples that's exactly what they were supposed to do. The real issue was the contact with uncircumcised people, with people who were unclean according to God's law. After all, these had been the rules for quite a long time now, and Peter knew it as well as any of them. In fact, he initially did argue with the heavenly voice that told him to kill and eat unclean animals. One just didn't do these things because God had clearly said so long ago not to. How far can you bend the rules, especially God-given rules, to make new believers comfortable, to make them totally a part of the body of Christ? Lest we just push it aside, let us recognize that this is a hard question. The leaders in Jerusalem took a hard line. No table fellowship with Gentiles, even Christian ones, until and unless they are circumcised and obey all the laws that God gave us. Some modern church leaders take a softer line. We have to accept everyone just as they are, regardless of the sins that they carry into the church with them, all of the rules that God has given to us must be ignored in order to bring these new folks into the fold. Those seem to be the choices, all law or all grace, tradition or tolerance. Peter took another path. You see, Peter refused to argue theology, he just simply told what God had done. Now, some might just argue that he relied on his experience rather than his traditional training, but it was God in his experience that convinced him and ultimately convinced his critics. And even though they came to accept his message, it was a long time before the whole church got it. Notice that even in their agreement with Peter, they still have some lingering prejudice. So then, even to the Gentiles... God has granted repentance that leads to life? Try as they might, they had a tough time letting go of the us versus them mentality. So then, even to the Gentiles? Today, then, I think we need to consider where we might hold other believers at arm's length. Is it when they're from a different ethnic group or culture? Is it when they represent a different race? Is it when they are clearly a part of a lower or higher social class? What about when a man wears a Make America Great Again hat as he enters our sanctuary? Or how about a woman who still drives a car with an Obama sticker on it? Will we allow the slightly different or very different person into our church? How much acceptance will we give? And on what terms? If God has granted them repentance that leads to life, how much repentance will we insist on?
We affirm today, once again, I think, that God indeed moves borders. But we also must be certain that it is God who's moving the borders. We must be as certain as Peter was. And perhaps that requires not just voices and visions, but bravery in the face of opposition. We must discern the Spirit's leading and continue to walk in the ways of Jesus. There's no easy way to resolve difficult issues. But we can be certain that we face new horizons and that we must welcome all people and enfold them in our love and care, eating and drinking with them just as Peter did, and perhaps consider laying on them only the most minimal of our old rules. It is a hard thing. But just maybe this is what Jesus was teaching us to do when he ate and drank with tax collectors and prostitutes and all kinds of unclean people on his way to the cross to die for each and every one of us. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. To God be the glory. Amen.